Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, James, right off the hop here, I want to ask you a question. If you're John Cooper during the Colorado Avalanche's route, shellacking, verb here, of the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, 7-0. Do you pull Andre Vasilevsky and ruin his uh, his streak of, of playoff games or games not being pulled? I, I think the thing is, after the fourth goal, I might have done it. And I could be mistaken. I'm trying to look for the box score now. But after the fourth goal, it was like halfway through the second period. Um, so maybe, so yeah, the fourth goal came at 1626 of the second period, right? Maybe at the start of the third period is when you should have taken Vasilevsky out, given him the opportunity to rest for the next game. Now, granted, they didn't win that next game, and that's a conversation we have later, but give him the opportunity to rest for the next game because, um, let's face it, there's a, there's a full series still to, to be played here if you can, if you could make it one. So, so I, I might have streak like you're okay. I, I think that's a big thing. And, and again, we've talked about like Keith Yandel and different things like, yeah, do you just do you just kind of leave him in there and let him ride? I mean, they let him ride out the streak. I think that's really important because I had heard this on another show and I was like, I don't I don't know. I kind of want to uh, I want to discuss this, too, because I don't know what I would have done. It depends on if you're trying to win that, if you think you can win that game or not. What's more important, right? You're you're in the Stanley Cup final. Are we worried about Andre Vasilevsky's streak that he has in playoff games played, or are we worried about winning the Stanley Cup? I think maybe even just like would he have come out of the net? You know, like I think he's it's very proud. He wants to go in there. Brian Elliott, bless his heart, is not going to win you that game. No, he's not. Um, maybe there's like, something yeah. there though that between coach and player where he said, "Look." I, I know that, you know, where our backs are up against the wall. Do not take me out of this game. Maybe there's something there. I don't yeah. know. But Cooper said he didn't even consider it. Right. Which which leads me to believe that that was a, maybe a conversation that they've had even before this game. Like in, in any situation, Cooper, uh, uh, don't take me out of this game. And he says to Andre Vasilevsky, who in in his own right has earned that yeah, you know, yeah he, I, he doesn't have to come out of the game if he doesn't want to because he's proven that he's the guy. Yeah, I don't think this is like a Patrick Waugh situation where he gets lit up and is left in the net. And then when he eventually is pulled or, you know, the end of the game or the end of a period says, I'm never playing here again. And then yeah. gets, you know, demands a trade from Montreal or from wherever. Yeah, to to Colorado. Um, I don't think Vasilevsky was going to do that. The quote from him is and I had heard this on. um on SDP, 
And I was, like I said, I think it was worth a conversation because I don't know what I would have done either. It kind of depends. You know, the Lightning can score a lot of goals really quickly. I, you know, four nothing. You know, considering if the other teams, you know, can score four pretty quickly, maybe you can too. And and they've come back in games, um, and then the next game they put up six, right? Like so, you know that they can they can do something like that. Um, he said he's the best goalie in the world, uh, and we win together, we lose together. Even if I did consider pulling him, I don't think he would have come out. That's the type of that's that's what a competitor he is. That's why he's the best. Um, but I think that speaks volumes to the way that you know coaches and players have that mutual respect, um, you know, and letting them kind of continue uh, something they started, even if it's not going very well. Um, but as you said, Tampa Bay does come back and win the next game, it, kind of in a big way. Um, Colorado still looked pretty good in the game. They didn't really look out of it, other than the score. Um, they were still getting a lot of chances. I think Vasilevsky continues to do his thing. Um, so what did you think of that game? Um, and does Tampa have a chance of coming back now? Yeah, you can never count them out. You know, it's we said the same thing, or or I shouldn't say we, but people had said the same thing about the Lightning after the Rangers went up to nothing in the Eastern Conference Final. Now, I'll, I'll say this, the, the difference between the Avalanche and the Rangers, in my opinion, even though it's, one round of a difference between the teams is rather large. And, and I think the thing that's, you mean, the only, the, the, the only the avalanche major difference are much better than the yes, Rangers. The and that's not a knock. This is as an Islander podcast. This is not a knock no. on the Rangers as much as we'd like to make it one. It's that no. the avalanche are a well-oiled machine that are correct. You know, up two games to one on defending back-to-back Stanley cup champions. Yeah, exactly. So we've, we've been here before in this situation where we said, oh, you know, the Lightning look like they're done. And then all of a sudden, nope, they're back home and they're winning games. Um, and, you, you know, you can expect this from the Avalanche. You can expect the pushback because there's a reason why they've won in the past two seasons, whether you want to put an asterisk next to it or not. Um, major difference of a game, though. I mean, this they had 33 shots on goal, whereas uh, the Game one, or no, I'm sorry, game, game two. two. They, they didn't break 20. 16. They had 16 shots. That's That doesn't happen often for Tampa. So Yeah, and um, you're going to get a, that. You can get good goaltending on 16 shots, right? Like yeah. You're, you're no. not really asking them all that much. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and, you know, you look at the, uh, the, the power play metrics here, 0 for 3 on the power play in game two, and then they were uh, only 1 for 6, um, but at least they, you know, they converted. Um yeah, and it was still so, a close game. It was three to two at one uh, one point, and then the yeah, Avalanche kind of came back and made it three two, and then um, two to one, but, three to one, three to two, and then three. Yeah, it was goals four to two. From... Yeah, it was a bunch of goals from the Lightning, and they kind of uh, they they pulled away quite a bit there. Uh, yeah. do, do you see a kind of continued comeback? Is is game four um, going to be a little bit more? careful by either team or do you think it's still like they're sticking to their styles and you I know think, whatever comes of it yeah no i think i think each team flex their muscles enough right i think i think that um colorado in game two obviously the seven nothing shellacking um and then in this game you know six two that's that's a shellacking in its own right so um i think next game is gonna be it, it and this is just again i a guess, you know, of course it is because I can't predict the future, but I, I do think it'll be a bit more of a, I want to say a chess match, but not the same, the same kind of chess match. Maybe the Islanders and the lightning played with each other. Um, but you know, again, it could be, um, 
I, I think it'll be a little closer. The only thing that I think could be the downfall of the avalanche, I'll say here, is that Darcy Kemper really didn't look good in game three. He looked pretty bad, actually. Um, whereas Andre Vasilevsky had his bad game. I don't I don't count on that happening again for him. So if I um, I had also heard that. So game one, Vasilevsky has not been very good. And even in some game twos, but from game two on, he has an incredible record. Yeah, I can't I remember off accurate. the top of my head whether it's like 11 and three or like something ridiculous um, following, you know, throughout the rest of the, the series. And, and don't forget, I mean, don't forget the the avalanche are in a similar boat. Um, yeah. they, they haven't really lost on the road in the playoffs. They may have been perfect up until game three. Um, so you kind of suspect that everyone kind of comes out. Um, I don't really see them playing chess matches either. Like these are both very good teams that know what they do. I think, they, do. I think they just I think it's maybe more of what you saw in game one. Just two really good teams kind of going at it. And then someone comes out on the other side. Um, each goalie kind of had their bad game and and that and that was it. Um, you just get them out of the way and you and you take it, you know, game four the rest of the way. If it gets tied up, it makes it really interesting. You know, best of three the rest of the way. Um, then the games really get interesting. Yeah, but I think this is, I'd, you know, not to sound like every everyone that's reporting on this, but game four is going to be very critical. Like right? that's a swing it game is. and it, it makes it really hard. Um, it's one of those Bay things where back. you could see if the I mean, the thing is, game four, if the Avalanche win, they go home where that's what I said what about. Well, that's where the same thing that I said about Tampa Bay and the, during the Rangers series is if Tampa Bay can win game five on the road then they can win the series because then they can go home on game six and win it and call it a day they have to steal that one on the road if they let them win at home and then they're they have to go home and they're defending it's a little tough it's a little tougher to do high expectations a lot of energy a lot of nerves you gotta steal that one on the road because uh, then you got two chances to close it out Whereas then you're you're really on two elimination games back to back. It can be done. It just makes it a little harder. Tampa Bay won that one against the Rangers at home uh, in at Madison Square Garden. They were able to kind of go into Game Six uh, with their home crowd and, and close it out. And that was ultimately it. The Rangers couldn't hold them off. So that might also be what's what can happen here if Tampa can win the next one and then win one in Colorado. It it just it produces a really fun game seven, um, but they have the momentum. Speaking of winning games on the road, though, um, before Monday night's loss, the Avalanche were seven and zero in these playoffs on the road. Right. So you you could see a situation where, you know, Nathan McKinnon and and Cal McCarr are, are men possessed right now. They're playing at a ridiculous level, a, a level I've <laughs> quite honestly. I've never seen – let me re- rewind here. I think Cal McCarr right now is the best player in hockey. Forward, defenseman, goal, doesn't matter. I think Cal McCarr is the best player in hockey right now. Um, and, and Nathan McKinnon is firing on a similar level, but but Cal McCarr is a, is a little higher than him in my opinion. Um, and, and they have the ability to take over games. They're playing as possessed men, and I, I don't – I don't foresee a situation where they lose back to back for Colorado. I haven't seen it. We've seen it with Tampa more on more for the than first occasion. time for the first time in these playoffs. 
uh, as opposed to the last two. Vasilevsky was undefeated on the um, after following a loss. Back to back, right. So the thing is here, I could see a situation where angry Nathan McKinnon comes out and, and Cal McCarr does his thing again. And, you know, I, I think the goaltending matchup is in favor of the lightning, but you don't really have to worry about that so much when Nathan McKinnon and Cal McCarr controlling the puck for 55 out of the 60 minutes in a game. And, and that's just where I think it could become um, problematic for the lightning. I, they, not to, not to diminish anything that they've done thus far. I just, they haven't, competed with a team of Colorado stature in these playoffs just yet. In my opinion, they, they swept the shit out of the Panthers. They were, they were, they were just dust. Oh yeah. They feed, they feast on on the Panthers. The Rangers are, are a good up and coming team. They're not the level of the avalanche. And uh, who did, who did the lightning play in the first round? The uh, Rangers. uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Tampa, Florida Rangers. Uh, Toronto, Toronto. Thank you. So, okay. That's what I meant. Yeah. That, that series I think is the most similar to what they're doing now, to what Tampa's playing now. Yeah. I would say, you know, the goaltending was still, that was the big question mark. Yes. Um, for Toronto, but they have a really deep, uh, forward group, you know, they don't play quite as quick. Um, they don't have quite the transition game and they didn't, they didn't really have the defenseman that can move the puck up the ice quite as well as, as Colorado. But um, yes, I can see the, I can see the similarities and, and that's why we were talking about last week uh, and then watching the, especially the seven, nothing game. I, I had even re- referenced it in a recent article that the way that Colorado had the energy and support that the Islanders used to have outside of this last season they were the ones that were overwhelming teams. It reminded me a lot of that seven, nothing game reminded me a lot of when the Islanders swept the penguins, they were all over them. The penguins couldn't break the puck out. The, the Islanders were transitioning quickly up the ice. Um, and that's the balance that I was talking about last week that Lambert needs to get the team back to um, whether that you, whether you call it a reinvention or just getting back to what, what was going, what was happening previously they had, I felt like they got more defensive over time and it worked until it didn't work. Um, and then th- those little things come out and all the little blemishes are easier to see and they need to f- find a way to rebalance their, uh, the team, you know, defense and offense and being able to transition that puck. And you see the way the Islanders are not as fast as the avalanche and they couldn't even acquire enough players this off season to, to do it, but they can have the transition game and, heads up playmaking to get that puck up the ice to, to make the offense work and, and have the defense kind of contribute more. So that's more of what I meant last week when I was talking about Lambert and, and helping the Islanders. No, make that makes perfect sense. And uh, Kevin Kurz actually wrote something good today on, can you sacrifice Anthony Bavillier for defensive help? And he named Jacob Chikorin as one of those um, guys who you sacrifice Bavillier for. Yeah, um, well, we he... can we can talk about that in a second. If you, I don't want you to lose your thought. Oh, okay. But I want to get to the Islander stuff. Get, yeah, yeah. There were a couple fine. more things first. Yeah. Um, questionable officiating, and, and we can get through these quick. Questionable officiating. Trip on Corey Perry. He goes in the the boards awkwardly. Um, very clear trip. Uh, stick blade under under the skate. Taves on Kucherov. Um, 
a cross check kind of pulling down the back of Kucherov's pants near the fight strap. But then also Kucherov had a, a quite a high hit, I think, even before the Taves hit. Um, a lot of non-calls, it seems. Um, I guess, you know, I, I guess hits are intent to injure to some degree, just within certain rules. Um, but some of these seem like the, the trip on Corey Perry, maybe not. Um, but the other two were, I don't know about intent to injure so much as just bad hockey plays or bad plays in general. Like, I, what are you thinking? Especially with a player that close to the boards. And that's why it's, I think I said on a previous show, like, I don't know that these guys care about each other because that's an, it's an easy thing to look at and go, that's not good. And it's not like they don't watch tape. Or they don't pay attention. Is it equal part bad officiating and the players, you know, is it just the Stanley Cup and it's not about respect and they're trying to win? Who cares? Um, or what's what's going on? Is it a, is it a mixed bag or is it is it a little bit more of one of the, than the other? I think it's one of those things where like, no, I don't I think refereeing is like a snowflake. No two games are the same, which is bullshit. Because that's, I, I agree, because it's very tough to like be a fan and explain hockey to somebody. Like it can't be if you're a new fan, understanding the rules. Like you, every game can't be your first game. Like you can't no, just right. watch these things. And I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. I think that the thing that happens here is, you know, the the refs will gauge. Okay, how's this game gonna go? Am I gonna lose control of this game if I don't make this call? I'm gonna make this call. How is this game going to go? Am I going to lose this game if I don't make this call? No. Okay, I'm going to let that one go. It wasn't that bad. Then there's also, okay, that was a retaliation. Oh, I missed that call? Okay, I'll I'll let him get away with it. Or that was a retaliation. I gave him two minutes. Here's the equalizer. I think that's how refs go into these games sometimes. Maybe yeah, more and that's often than not. Actually, who was, who was was it? Tim Peel. Who was the ref that like pretty much got kicked out of that, hockey? That was after? Tim Peel. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's bullshit. It's not about that. Call you have an official. You have a book. Like, call the penalties. Call the every. I, yeah. Call. It can't be a different game in the playoffs. It's not a. You know these guys leave hurt every season or at the end of every series. You hear about these things. And it, it could derail careers because your uh, refs are allowing certain things to happen. Like for the for the good of the game, it was like in one of the playoffs, Connor McDavid didn't have a call against him. Impossible. That's impossible. I, you you can't do it. And it, it's it's stuff like in this series that like it just doesn't get called. You're like okay, the if the players aren't going to police themselves, which we've heard that before, and they only want to do it. They'll fight each other for clean hits, but no one's exactly dropping the gloves when it's hits like this with with anybody. Um, although if you're Corey Perry, he's you know taking shots at the uh, the Colorado Avalanche goalie, but after the whistle. But yeah, I don't get it. Like you want the best players to be in the series. It's one thing if they get if they just get a clean hit or they take a shot or whatever, and you get hurt. I understand a trip, the Corey Perry thing. That's an accident. That's not intentional. The other stuff is like, you have to think about that. And that's where I get, that's where I get caught up. You know, the officials need to kind of call a rule book and the players also need to have a little more respect for one another. 
I wonder how much of that also has to do with like things on a personal level. And, and I don't mean like, you know, um, you know, a, re- a referee is friendly with a player who committed a penalty and won't call that. I, I just wonder if like in the game, you know, even though these guys know each other and they see each other around the rink a lot, tempers do tend to flare. And, and at, at some instances, you know, if there's a missed call, you know, one of those guys is really, how could you miss that? You, you, you can't miss it. You got to call the next one. And now these referees are on high alert for that, right? Because they're like, man, I'm going to see him, you know, in, in the arena, you know, later or, or tomorrow. He's going to be really mad um, that I missed that call. So now he's looking for the, the slightest instance of a of some sort of trip, even if it's a bullshit call. Yeah, but don't call. It. Don't wait to make I, I agree another call you. like on the other team. If they do that and they'll miss three penalties by the team that just got called instead right. of just calling another penalty. Now it happens sometimes where one team is just committing infractions and whatever, but it's not often enough. I understand what you're saying, but like, that's very ticky tacky and not, well, not, they should be more ticky tacky. They, they, they need to be, they set the tone in the beginning of the season and they just don't follow through with it, which is meaningless. It's like your mom giving you a timeout as a kid. And then after five minutes, you get up eventually it becomes meaningless. You're just not doing anything. And especially if you're not calling it and all your, all your mom is doing is yelling at you from across the room. Yeah. You start losing the respect a little bit. You, they have to, they have to be more serious about, especially when it's plays that can result in very serious injury. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you there. That's just, you know, again, I, I wonder how much it, it does ha- depend on, you know, the, the, the personal level of these you know, of these things. And again, not, Oh, I know this guy, I'm going to let him get away with it, but more of, you know, okay, they're really on me about this. I need to watch out for the next one. And, and, you know, he calls the smallest little thing that, that could have been, you know, a a tweener and, you know, it, it, it gets tricky. It, I think that the takeaway here from officiating is we need to, although yes, there needs to be like a, a, a standard, there also needs to be the the expectation that it becomes subjective to the person, I guess. And you know, that's the problem. It's not like if, if there's certain things that are a hook or a slash or a high hit, I think that's just what it is. They need to come yeah. up with, they leave when you read some of these the rules, they're very ambiguous. They're very vague. Yeah. So that's the problem. And that's why I think it's open to interpretation. It. And yeah, that's because the league needs to be more serious about what these rules are. I think it's I think if you do that, it's less about interpretation and they're calling the game. It's not like is it a hook or isn't it a hook? I can see why you would call it sometimes and not others. Ah, he mostly got the stick. It really wasn't in the hand. Shall I'm gonna let it go. Yeah. It's when it's like again, a high hit, like have these very def- or slash. How these, you know, if it breaks the stick, I don't know. The stick could have been half broken anyway. I, who knows? Um, you know, have, being able to review things and, and all that, I guess, is a different story because a lot of times, like a player on his own, someone's team will high stick a teammate, and then someone else right next to him on the other team gets called, um, which is you know, which is nonsense. But yeah, they, I think they need to get more serious about what the rules are yeah, and actually kind of narrow them down a little bit. Easier to last. The last thing I'll say on it, too, is that these things happen at such a fast pace that some of the calls you could understand, you know, maybe if there was a scrap going on, you know, at the other end of the ice or, or something or 
or yeah, yeah. two players are drawing off at each other and, and giving each other, um, you know, tummy sticks, as we like to call it. Um, you know, you, you could have missed it because your attention was towards somebody else. And I know there's, there's four, four, uh, you know, two linesmen, two referees, but you know, again, these things happen so fast that if you look away for a second to see what's going on on the other end, because you have to, yeah. let's face Sometimes it. Sometimes the puck is there and that's why I don't, that's what I don't get. That's true. Yeah. You know, when and the that's, puck is and, there. Yeah, and that's we don't have to belabor this all. But like, there's also penalties that you have to focus on where the puck isn't there, and that's, yes, and that's why there are two. There's a back referee and there's a referee closer to the puck. Yeah, um, you have that ability to kind of to figure that out. Um, to the island, to the island. We've discussed this before, but it's worth bringing up again, especially considering the conversation we had about Sorokin last episode. Uh you know, his, his underlying numbers being tops in the league, if not the top in the league, mm-hmm. um, given his games played, which was not, you know, was far and above the usual, like 10 or 15 game minimums and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and we've definitely talked about this even previously before that conversation. Um, Sorokin Vezina votes. Do you think that's going to happen? Is he going to get a oh, it did, fringe? Right? It did. He it's got happening right, votes. Now, it's happening right now. As we're doing, so we're seeing the release. We of are. I did not know you added Shisterkin, that note in lifetime. Yes. Igor Shesterkin won. Okay, uh, that's not that's not a surprise. Not a surprise. He got 29 first place votes, three second place votes, no third place because he should have won. Um, Ilya Sorokin placed sixth in the voting. Uh, he got one first place vote, one second place vote, and three third place votes. Who who was uh, three, four, five? So two was Markstrom. So, uh, Saros was three, Anderson was four, and Vasilevsky was five. I could see the argument for any of those goaltenders being where they are. Um, what I don't understand is I'm I'm looking at social media and some are saying, "Come on, who voted Ilya Sorokin or Andre Vasilevsky number one?" I I don't necessarily think it's far fetched. I, I I understand. Look. Igor Shosturkin should have won this award. I would have had him as my first place vote as, if I had one as well. However, again, zoom the lens out a little bit, right? I broke down the the analytics on on Ilya Sorokin and why he should be considered one of the best, if not the best goaltender in the league. And again, that could be interchangeable between Shosturkin and Vasilevsky on any given night. Because he was, analytically, the best. Five on five, Um almost the best at, at on the on the penalty kill and when you put all those things together you know it, it makes for one of the best goaltenders in the league yeah I it's really that, hard when you don't when 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 you're it's hard i think it's hard for some people to look past the team stat well okay and that's that was gonna be my next point right i think a lot of people say well he didn't make the playoffs and and the islanders didn't make the playoffs why should he be considered one of the best goaltenders in my opinion that strengthens the argument because he put up those numbers on a team that didn't make the playoffs. Could you imagine what his numbers would look like if they played well in front of him? Yeah, and that's on a regular basis. That's 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 kind of the problem. It wasn't, you know, the losses were like painful losses. Um, and if they had done it against, if they had done it for what they did in front of Sorokin and in front of Varlamov, the team, yeah, is, is in much better shape. He, I, I don't understand the comments too of he's he's putrid 
early. Ilya Sorokin and Putrid can be used in the same sentence. Yeah, I, I don't uh, think it, this. There might not be a lot of people that are paying all that close attention. But let's not dive into all those comments. It's probably right. Of course, I'm just my my point stands that you know, although he, he didn't win the Vezina, and I didn't anticipate him to. He wasn't even a finalist. He did place sixth. I don't think it's far fetched to say that he was outstanding this season. Um, and again, he, he did it on a team that didn't play well in front of him. Yeah. I mean, he's arguably at this point with, you know, um, only really one vote different than Vasilevsky's arguably the top five goalie in the league. And I think that's a completely fair statement. Yeah. Um, I know we, we spoke last week about being top three. I think this, um, you know, notice the teams in front of him all made the playoffs. Um, and the only two that on this in the top, I suppose in the top seven, um, the only two that didn't were Vancouver and the Islanders. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that that speaks volumes to how people are voting for this kind of thing. So, that, you know, moving forward, even if he had a winning record, you know, if, if Varlamov had played um, again, like, kind of like we said about a backup goalie, if it's not Varlamov, um, they they need to just win, be able to win like half their games. Like if, if he had won half his games, that's a different conversation. Yeah, you know, they're going into that last month um, as we had our fingers crossed, really needing a run and, and and really being able to do it, and having the team healthy and and a lot of players scoring. Like they could have that last week could have been really even if they missed the playoffs, it could have been really exciting. Yeah, and it didn't it didn't really take a whole lot. It, it really no. didn't. And as I said. I said to you, I'm going to beat this drum um, again. It, it was one win a month. It it wasn't like they needed a streak of of you know going seven and three uh, over a ten game stretch. No, just just one. Squeak it out. One of one of those wins in during COVID with a Bridgeport team would have been really meaningful on a lot of levels. But like, yeah. you can win those games. It's it, you know it's like oh well you how how can we compete? I don't know. Detroit goes out there and they win a game eventually. Arizona yeah. won games of like you can have bad teams win games. You, you just have to kind of figure out how you're going to do it. And I know it's really hard, but as I've also said, you're professionals. Just you got to figure it out. You have yeah. to be able to kind of step up in a moment um, for your teammates and for the franchise. But um, yeah, this might be a good segue then. Uh, and we'll start with Varlamov here. We're gonna call it the rumor mill, but it's not really rumors. It's it's kind of like who makes sense. What do the Islanders need to do um, as far as trades, or what what do they need? How can they flip it? Is it cap space? What you know the questions that we've kind of gone over a bunch. Um, but in the Islanders rumor mill continues with uh, two pieces of trade bait: uh, Semyon Varlamov and Anthony Bavillier. Um, and I'll, I'll I guess I'll let you choose um, because you were you were about to get on a. At, at you step up to the podium there with Bavillier before. <laughs> now we're talking about Varlamov. So I'll let you kind of pick if you want to pick back up on Bavillier. If you want to kind of continue here with Varlamov. Yeah, I, the the thing that to, you know on the point of Bavillier, the thing with him is if you're going to utilize him because he's a young piece that has value, whether you want to agree with that or not, doesn't matter. He does have value. It's been reported that teams are interested in him. So. Doesn't matter if you're going to tell me he doesn't have, he does, he has value. 
um, because he's young. He has he has a certain ceiling that that other teams believe he could hit. Um, maybe he just needs a change of scenery. If you're going to sacrifice him because you have the, the forward depth, it's got to be for a defenseman. And and the one defenseman that um, was named in the article that I read earlier by, by Kevin Kurz was Jacob Chikrin. Um, Which has been the conversation. Yes, it has. Not, uh, it is not a knock on the article so much as that's kind of continued to be the conversation about right. Bavillier for a defenseman. Chikrin's name has kind of continued to, to be in, involved in that that part of the conversation right and, and picking up from where you said before what you were talking about before in, in having to um even out the system and um you know getting faster from the back end i think that this is that idea right trading a guy like bavillier who who has speed himself and and, and i and i do understand saying how do you want to get faster for trade anthony bavillier well you have to be able to do it um in, in a sense that you're going to remain fast Roster is going to remain fast. They're just going to change where the, the location is coming from. A big part of the reason why the Islanders did not replicate their success was because of the loss of Nick Letty, the loss of Devin Tapes. And yes, they've now seen that that was an issue um, and they're going to try and fix that issue. And look, the, the season was what it was. It's gone and, and they made the trade for Devin Tapes and it is what it is. You can't really beat that drum anymore. He's He's gone. I mean, he's just—he's just a good, good enough asset to trade with a cap, good cap it for next the next two years, with a lot of potential. Right, so well, he, and that's a, the thing. He, yeah. And he's—he's he's a piece that you can make the centerfold of a trade for a guy like Jacob Chikrin. And the idea here was, imagine a top four of Pelik, Pulik, Chikrin, Dobson. You can run that top four with the best in the league, and and call them one of the best defensive corpses in the NHL. Um, and I think that's the idea being able to run that foursome, um, giving the the team that, that right there is where the, the system drives through those four guys. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's definitely that third pair and I have a, a, a suggestion here um, in a, in a second about what that might look like if there was really to kind of turn things on its head, which I think is un, unlikely, but an interesting conversation. Um, yeah, that that top four, even if it was Salah Mayfield on that third pair, I I think that's that's really good. That that's a really good defensive group. And yes, you definitely find a way to get that puck up the ice a lot quicker with that second pair for sure. And you might even be able to kind of, um, you know, having a a shutdown pair and an offensive pair, I think, is a really interesting balance. I think, and it creates. Two good defensemen on the penalty kill, the power play as well. You might even be able to give Pulak a little bit of a rest. You don't need to have him on the power play. You can kind of take some minutes away and and really just have him uh, be part of that shutdown pair. Um, the two young kids let them, let them get the power play time. They're motivated. They're good offensively. Let them let them have it. Kind of take that pressure off of Pulak a little bit. Um, I think that makes a ton of sense. Um, you you have to you know a team like Arizona would absolutely have the room for his cap hit. So Bavillier, you know, and he's got two years left. I don't know what Arizona is going to do with the draft, and they have a they have a billion picks. Um, so I don't, I, they they're not necessarily going to make a run for it. Not in the next season where they're going to be playing at a an NCAA rink with less than five thousand people. Yikes! Um, yeah, it's I I'm interested to see how that shakes out. I can't I can't really even imagine. Um, 
it's like seeing an NHL game in an AHL rink with like 6,000 seats. It would just be really weird. Imagine slightly smaller than that. I don't know how many people have seen like a, a D1 or D3 hockey game before. Um, but the the rinks are fairly small. They're just not built for it. And even with um, some amenities built in for, for press and locker rooms and things, it's still going to be a little rough, um, even the nicest D1 arenas. Um, Semyon Varlamov. What are you... There's been a lot of pieces written about it lately. I'm not on the Var, trade the Varlamov train, um, as I've been on record saying, but what are we seeing on both sides as what the benefits could be? Are there rumors about where he might go? I don't think we have his no, no trade list. We know one of the teams is Edmonton. Um, anything else on the Varlamov front that we should be paying attention to? I don't think there's any any rumors yet uh, according to where he's gonna go um but I, I think he's the he's the last piece that you try to move if you have to right the the goaltending carousel we've seen in the Stanley Cup playoffs we've seen how important it is to have two viable goaltenders to get you this deep into the playoffs um unless you're the Tampa Bay Lightning who have a machine in net at all times um you know, we, we've seen the importance of a of a one B slash backup. He, you don't want to move Arlamov despite having a five million dollar cap hit if you don't have to, because who's your who's your option to replace him? And right? that's why I said you're still paying. You know, who what what goalie worth their salt is two three million dollars? Yeah, I I don't I don't know who that would be. And then you're giving up more assets that you really don't have for that. Or they're they're a UFA. Like I don't I don't even know what kind of options are out there for that. Where you would trust them again? Like we said, we we talked about a Holtby. Can he win you 15 games out of 25? Can he do that for you? What goalie out there is doing that? Right. And that might not even really be enough. A lot of packup goalies are just doing a hell of a lot better of a job than that. Right. Um, so how do you how do you find that and have the confidence? Um, you know, there's a huge caveat here that Varlamov can go in and just not, not really be the same. I don't think that's the case because he had a better second half of the season. He eventually was able to kind of turn around and look like himself. But it's possible, you know, he's going to be playing for a contract. So I find that hard to believe that he doesn't come out of the gate just rip roaring. But yeah, I think replacing that kind of energy and that he's been around the team and he's part of that tight knit thing, especially with Sroken as a tandem, the two Russian goaltenders. I think it's important for Sorokin as well. So it's it's interesting to consider trading of Orlamov with a lot of those considerations beyond just the extra five million dollars, which would be nice. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, having the extra five million dollars would be great, but look at who's available, right? After look, Mark Andre Fleury is not going to settle to be a backup goaltender, Jake. Uh, Jack Campbell is not going to settle to be a, a backup goaltender. Vili uh, Huso is not going to settle to be a backup goaltender. That's why he's probably going to leave St. Louis uh, because he he was the starter there and they have Binnington for another five years. Um, so I don't think he even wants to split time. I think he wants his own net. Um, it's not. It's not going to work out via free agency, right? Braden Holpe, maybe, maybe you get him, but you're also competing against a bunch of other teams who are looking to 
uh, acquire a goaltender. I see no reason why Edmonton won't throw the friggin' bag at him because they need a goaltender. Koskinen just left for for uh, Sweden, and Mike Smith is forty, might retire, and if not, he's forty. So, yeah, we can't. I mean, Evarlamov has to wave. Correct. And that's part of the well, issue. No, I'm, but yes, but I'm not. That's not my point. My point is not who's going to go to Edmonton. My point is the the backup goaltender crop. If you're going to trade Varlamov somewhere, not Edmonton, somewhere is not very big, right? A lot of people will say, "Well, what about Thomas Grice? He's been here." Yes. However, now he's 36. He just played in Detroit for the past two seasons. Yeah. So I don't. It's... I don't foresee him coming into the Islanders without having some. Uh, bad habits, maybe. I mean, bad habits, or I don't, who knows. And there's also a question of uh, you know the goaltending coaches and who's sticking around and and who's on on the way out. I don't think there's been much of the way uh, in terms of an, an announcement from the Islanders on that uh, either. Um, yeah, I don't know that Thomas Grice, who's also I think probably in his mid 30s by now or a little bit older than that, like if, if he's the answer. Be asking him to play a lot less games, I think, would be okay. He's he's again, you're you're kind of grasping at, at you as in general, you um, you know, grasping at straws, trying to figure out who would work alongside Varla, uh, uh, Sorokin when you have someone that you can trust and kind of kick that problem down the road another year. Um, because then you're gonna have to sign someone to a multi-year deal. Uh, if they're worth anything anyway, you're signing someone to a multi-year deal maybe because that problem doesn't go away. You trade for Alamov, you sign, you still need somebody unless you think Skerrick's going to be good in a year from now and you're just giving him another season. But then on top of all the other deals you need to sign and other RFAs and your own situation internally, that's a lot of cap gymnastics that you're just going to continue to jump through. Um, whereas you can kind of take the time as um, Lamorello continues to say that he likes to do in... Um, you know, kicking that can down the road a little bit and, and kind of running it back as it was. So speaking of trades, though, um, I'll ask a question before I dive into some of the specifics and what I'm thinking. I've written against this before, but I'll ask anyway. Should the Islanders trade Mayfield and upgrade the position? It depends on if they see him as somebody who can work in this faster system or not. I mean, it, it, thing on the penalty kill and in certain situations, it's good to have Mayfield, but that's a good point. The The way that he's an asset to the Islanders in a lot of ways is the cap hit and that he's been in the system. He's reliable. They know what they have in him. They don't need to guess. They don't need to flip him and get some and try to get something else. Um, any other thoughts on, on Mayfield before I'll, I'll move forward on what my my next thought is? Not sure. Expand on that. Yeah, so I bring it up because I saw that the Carolina Hurricanes were allowing Ethan Bear, who's 24 years old, as opposed to Mayfield, who's 29, to speak to other teams as an RFA. His cap hit is a little bit more. He's probably expecting a little bit of a raise, but he's 24. If if you're going to make that trade for Bavillier, for, you know, trading Bavillier for Chikrin. Say that's yeah. the thing, right? Chikrin's coming in at four million dollars. Then you have, you know, you have four. If you if you think Salo's going to come in 
and maybe be that be a, the the third uh, left defenseman for you. Do you try to upgrade Mayfield at that point and really have a strong defensive group that actually has a future together that can continue to all those guys would be other than you know the the bottom four, save for Pelican Pulak, who are not really that old. They'd be re- they'd be really old compared to the rest of the group. But you'd have Salo, who's pretty young. He's twenty three, right? And yes. Ethan Bear's 20, 20, uh, 24. I think he's the same age as Ethan Bear. So having those two guys as as your third pair, um, that that six those six defensemen are really good. Even if you again, even if you kept Green around, I don't know what it would. You know, you still have to make the trade for Ethan Bear. Um, I don't know that trading Mayfield to Carolina for the right to Ethan Bear to sign him would make sense at all. Other than Mayfield's really cheap. Um, and maybe Carolina just wants that. Um, there, there might be some issue with signing Ethan Bear. So I wanted to get your thoughts on. I know there's a lot of specifics there to 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 sort out, but if you had the opportunity to kind of upgrade to an Ethan Bear who is five years younger and has the opportunity to sign with you, um, in addition to trying to getting not you know in a in addition to Chikrin who or whoever whomever rather is that left defenseman that's, that's playing with Dobson, do you try to make that happen or do you just concentrate on? Get Chikrin, keep Mayfield, bring in Salo, and then use any dollars you have on the offense. I guess that really depends on Robin Salo. Because if he can earn the third pair on the left side, uh, I don't know how different Ethan Bear is from Salo. Do you do you want two offensive-minded puck movers on your third pair, or do you need a shutdown guy? similar to what Mayfield brings, right? He brings size. He brings physicality. Yeah. He can push a guy out of out of the, the crease if necessary. Which has worked for the Islanders. Which, which has worked for the Islanders. Can Ethan Bear bring that? Now, if you're signing um, or, or getting a guy who's simil- more similar to Mayfield on the left side and you figure out something that works for the Islanders and put Ethan Bear on the right side, I think that that works too because of a few things one um he's a third pairing defenseman right now who's young has speed and, and some offensive upside and two he's another guy who if if he if he trends upward can help open the islanders win now window a little further because he's a little younger um so it, it depends on you know if the hurricanes want to deal within the division if the cost isn't going to cost you an arm and a leg, um, and if he fits in to the top six, uh, the you know, well, I, I guess I could say, um, you do it. But again, I I don't I don't ever I don't know if the in division trades happen too often, right? Oh, I I understand that how that would be tough with. Um... With Carolina, I, I definitely understand that. I just I thought it'd be really interesting. Um, I saw I saw a tweet kind of come across my my timeline this morning, and I was like, "That's interesting." I don't really know. You know, he had come over from um, from Edmonton. Uh, I think this is Carolina's his third team. He may have been somewhere, maybe even in between. But I know he came. He was in, in Edmonton for some time. Uh, I just thought it was interesting um, to to kind of consider if if you were ever going to upgrade the Mayfield. 
position, that right, that three uh, RD position, someone like that definitely piqued my interest. Yeah, I, I and I could understand why. You know, he's a guy who um, makes the team a little faster, a little more skilled, um, and and I do understand that. I also though feel that there is still, you know, the the, the Scott Mayfield type of defenseman. I do feel that that's necessary still. Oh, I, absolutely. And with the way that the Islanders are playing their game and assuming it's not going to diverge too much um, from Trotz to Lambert, although, I, like I said, I think it needs to be a little more balanced, maybe the way that it was towards the beginning of the Trotz era, um, particularly in the in the playoffs, but that kind of like higher energy. And that might be the personnel part of it, um, but he still needs to get that out of those players. Yes, if it's just going to revert and become a little more balanced, absolutely. And Mayfield's shown some flashes of offense. It's not impossible for him to do that and turn it on. I think it just needs to be uh, pulled out of him a little bit more and encouraged. I think that yeah. definitely would help. Um, but we, I think we got to see. I think the Islanders back end getting a little bit younger um, and a little bit quicker, like you said, would be better in the long term. That open is one less thing that he needs to think about in the long term. And I was not on the May trade the Mayfield train. That was that was definitely not something that I was interested in. I think I I prefer to have the players that you know um, that you can rely on, even if they don't play big minutes. Um, but considering that name kind of that came across my timeline, um, there was no rumors associated with what which teams were going to be interested in him because it was just announced. But I thought it was interesting for uh, us to at least discuss today. Hockey fans. The pursuit for the Stanley Cup is on, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer for the most exciting playoffs in sports. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $100 in free bets, no matter what, win or lose. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the playoffs? With DraftKings Same Day Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets, like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more. It's your shot at even bigger payouts. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code THPN, bet $5 on any NHL team to win, and get $100 in free bets, no matter what. That's code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Quick update on the NHL awards. Maurice Sider takes home the uh, Calder Trophy, and Austin Matthews takes home both the Ted Lindsay and the Hart. Wow, yeah, that's. Uh, I don't think either of those are are too too surprising, or any of those three between those two players is is all that. No, surprising. I think a lot of people were anticipating that Igor Shesterkin take home the Hart. Um, I could understand that. Um, However, he did. He came in third place in voting. Connor McDavid actually came in second, and uh, Austin Matthews came in first. Oh, also, Cal uh, McCarr wins the Norris despite having fewer first place votes than Roman Yossi. That's an interesting, interesting one. Yeah, Isn't I don't it? know the specifics of that. So the first place votes get five points, second place gets three, and third place gets one. And he had and one guess, more vote. And I guess he had. Um, so he had 92 first place votes, Kalmakar versus Yossi's 98, but he had 98 second place votes versus Yossi's 76. Yeah, I think so he I had one. The way the math works out, and it's one more vote. Um, 
and and it's one more vote, I guess. Um, I'm not sure how that works. How how even just like he, so he, they may not have chosen Josie at all, so he may have had one less oh, yeah. vote, maybe in the one, two, or three spot. Yeah, very possible. Okay, so I think you know it's it's time for us to to talk about some prospects here. Um, you've written a little bit about this. I'm not the prospect guy, so I'm I'm purely I'm going off of your expertise here. Um, and we will have uh, Mitch Anderson, uh, who's at Eyes, Eyes on Isles now, is going to another platform soon. So we're going to squeeze any last Islanders information out of him before he makes that trade near closer <laughs> to the draft. So we'll dive into more of these players. But I thought he wrote something interesting uh, at the beginning of this month. And we really haven't had a whole lot of time for prospects. And we I do plan on asking him a little bit more. But he wrote about players that could be playing for a spot on the roster, whether or not they make it, he argues is a different story. They could be pushing towards that and putting pressure on the Islanders staff. As I said before, there's a bit of a log jam. Absolutely. There's not a lot of room. A player like Bellows is definitely in trouble. Should be looking over his shoulder. I don't think Walsham's completely out of the woods yet. I don't know how his relationship is with Lane Lambert. And I'm not suggesting that, Walsham's going to get traded or benched or whatever, but it's it's a bit of a logjam, and a lot of these kids are going to be, you know, Dufour is an overager. Holmstrom's kind of been around. Ratu's played with grown men. Um, Bellows can play. I think it depends on where he's put in the lineup. He definitely has a lot of, you know, I think there's still some potential there. I don't want to say a lot of potential, but there's some potential there. Um, so I want to kind of go down the list here and, and just, you know, who should we be keeping our eyes out at camp and you know, who could be a potential asset maybe for the Islanders instead of maybe pushing towards a spot in the lineup next year, but maybe they could be an asset in a trade. Um, William Dufour, you had, you kind of just wrote about him recently. Um, he's, he's playing in the Memorial cup uh, for which team? The St. John's sea dogs. He's playing with the sea dogs. Um, what, what kind of likelihood do you see of him making some noise in camp and pushing for a spot, even if he gets the, quote, Dobson treatment? Um, or is, is he kind of destined for the AHL and can kind of, you know, really prove if he can play at, at the pro level? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, in a, in a Lou Lamorello-controlled team, any of these guys aren't going to be a first-year pro and, and play at the NHL level. I think it's only um, AHL time for them. But starting with DeFore, I mean, like you said, he's playing the M Memorial Cup right now. He just won the QMJHL MVP award. Um, he had a historic season where he broke the franchise record in points in a season, um, previously held by Jonathan Huberdeau. He had 105. Um, DeFore broke it with 116. So um, you said overager, although technically he is 20 playing in the CHL. He turned 20 mid-season. So he's not the definition of an overager. Okay. So because he's an older player, but he's not an overager. Correct. So he's not technically an overager, um, which fares well for the Islanders. Now I see him as he could be your quintessential Anders Lee type. I see him as um, the he could possibly, if he can continue trending upwards with his skating, he could be a faster version. He's a big guy. 
Um, he's got good skill. He's got good hands. He obviously knows how to put the puck in the back of the net. I think he had 51 this year. Um, you know, again, the, the competition in the QMJHL was um, admittedly not as good as it has been in years past. But again, just to see, you know, what he's doing, he, he has good hockey IQ. Um, he has obviously the skill, and I think the skating is coming a long way. So, or has come a long way from where it was. So you could see him being um, a solid middle six option at some point, not next season. He'll be in the AHL if he remains an Islander. I think that he's played his way into being an intriguing asset for other teams if they are interested in taking him on. Like, I don't see any reason why the Coyotes wouldn't turn around in a you know, let's just say for a Jacob Chikrin deal and say, Bavillier, a pick and chick, uh, DeFore. Sure. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I mean, if, if he got a lot of recognition, I think that maybe boosts him up a little bit. I know the, the conversations about him were that he was a quote overager, um, even if the specifics weren't um, always mentioned in those conversations. So yeah, him maybe being an asset as opposed to, you know, maybe you can hold on to a Ratu or a Holmstrom and uh, and trade Dufour, who was kind of destined for the, the AHL anyway, where maybe those other two guys could really sniff in an NHL spot if they can kind of push Bellows out, which would be disappointing for Bellows, but understandable if if they're if those other two players are ready. Um, but yeah, perhaps he's he's now moved himself into asset territory, which is you know, good for him. It's it's not great because you want to play for the team that drafted you, improve yourself. But if you can be an asset and and get some time in the NHL, I think that's that's also really important. Um, I want to talk about Holmstrom. I don't think he gets enough attention. I agree. Um, I don't really know what his his ceiling is. Um, all I can kind of go off of. I don't catch many Bridgeport Islander games. I can really only go off his point total. So I wanted to hear from you what you thought about Holmstrom and maybe his future with the team in general. Is he kind of um, be, is he just an Islander guy who when there's an opportunity, he really has to seize it. Cause I don't know that he's had any NHL experience to this point. Um, he may have been called up, but I don't remember if he's, he's played a game in the last two, two or three seasons. Um, does he have an opportunity to maybe steal a bellows spot or really make some noise? If you think he can, it kind of be at that level um, with Wallstrom as well. Yeah. I, I think that um, Holmstrom, he played with Chris Terry this season, who's a career AHLer. Um, and he had Chris Terry had 30 goals, 31 assists, which is look at the AHL level. That's still good. And one of the things that he had said about Holmstrom was that playing on a line with him, uh, made him a better player. So playing on the line with Holmstrom made Terry a better player, according to Chris Terry. Um, he elevated his playmaking ability this year, um, and, and he definitely has the ability to, similarly like DeFore, be a decent middle six option for the Islanders at some point in the nearish future. I would say if it's not this season, next season could be um, you know, the, the target for Holmstrom. But I do anticipate him coming to camp. And I do anticipate him pushing for a roster spot. Do I think he's going to win one? Maybe not out of the gate. He could be one of those midseason call-ups. But I do think that Holmstrom does have a future in the NHL. 
possibly or majority of the time on the third line uh, wherever he goes. But I, I think that he is a solid um, middle six option. If he continues to trend upwards the way he has been, he could be maybe a second liner. I don't think he'll be a first liner. He's a, he could um, be a middle six guy. I mean, look, if it save for Zach Parise being re-signed, you know, that may have been a spot that that Holmstrom could have taken over alongside Pajot and Palmieri yeah. if, if they thought that he would be a fit there stylistically. Yeah. Um, I like that veteran line if that's what winds up happening. But you know, it, maybe if if Holmstrom gets a shot, it really is just kind of being with the roster. You rather than be playing games, um, instead of you know Blake Bellows, you get in the lineup and you haven't played in a month or or however long. It's a little tough to kind of get back into in game shape and timing and and, and all that kind of stuff. So you'd rather see Holmstrom continue to play and get called up when needed. Um, but it could it could definitely be interesting. Um, if he can find his way into the lineup, you know, this year and next, I'm not sure when his contract is up exactly, but you know, you, you assume drafted in 2019, um, this might be the last year of his deal. He might need a new one after this season. Um, if he signed the entry level deal right away. Um, but either way, it would be interesting to see if, you know, that's the kind of thing where those, those better players on a lot of the Stanley cup teams that we're seeing and a lot of these teams that make it really far is eventually someone's got to hit one person at a time yeah you had one you had one in Walsham a couple of years ago and now he's here and and now he's playing and he had a full he has a full season under his belt it's kind of time for a holstrom or somebody to kind of come through as well um which is another part of why i wanted to have this conversation to see like eventually in the next season or two someone's kind of got a hit yeah um, and i think wall uh Walsham, no sorry holmstrom <laughs> wrong wrong letter could be that guy um I don't. Uh, he's not going to blow you away, away like a Maurice Sider did in his rookie year. He's not going to even, you know, he's not. He might not be a Jordan Cairo or, or anything, anything like that. But again, he could be just a solid, steady third line guy, um, second line guy at best. And he he showed a lot this season that he just needed. You know, he he was a a bit of a reach at twenty third overall when he was taken, um, but he has shown that he was an experiment that the Islanders were, they saw something in him and they just needed to, to maybe um, hone that skill and craft him a little, a little bit further. Um, And it, it looks like it's starting to work. You know, he had, he had two seasons previously where it was like, okay, you know, maybe, maybe that was a bit of a, of a reach of a pick. Maybe they shouldn't have taken him there. Maybe it still is that way, but it's not as bad as it looked uh, previously. And, and you're starting to see the makings of a pro hockey player. That, and that's definitely interesting uh, to consider. And at, at some point, like I said, someone's got to hit. So you you kind of hope that the that the honors, you know, whether that was Garth Snow over the last couple of years with uh, with Lamarill, that that someone hits and and the prospect pool maybe can get upgraded a little bit because the honors group is is not highly rated, and no. it's definitely um, a little bit of a bummer when you're, especially when you're talking about assets and trying to improve. Um, sometimes that's where it comes from, especially if you can trade somebody young. And 18, uh, you know, 19, 20, 21 for somebody that's 23, 24 going in really into their prime and kind of speed things up a little bit. Um, every once in a while, you need to do that. And they don't really have the horse to, to do that at a young level, that the prospect level. Um, someone that does have a lot of promise is Atu Ratu. You're huge on him. Um, of all these players, he might have the, the best promise to really make some noise um, and get some high praise from the coaches and the general manager. Um, 
heading into the next season through training camp, does he have a real chance or are we going to see him have to really prove himself under Lamorello, Chris Lamorello and Lou Lamorello in Bridgeport? I think that I think the Islanders are going to ice a team that has all NHL experience this season. I'll start there. Much like Holmstrom, though, if anybody's going to get called up, it could be Ratu first, depending on how he's doing in the AHL. I think he has the highest ceiling of anybody who's going to be there um, this year. So um, I do expect Ratu to play top six minutes at the AHL level. He looked pretty good in his short stint with the Bridgeport Islanders in their postseason run this year. Um, so I, I'm, I want to see more out of him before I make a judgment on whether he will be in the AHL soon or not. Uh, I'm sorry, in the NHL soon or not, just because he had, look, he did excellent in, um, with Jukurit overseas. He came over to Bridgeport and looked really good for five or six games. Um, and that's great to see, but he needs more time to learn the North American game. And I think it's going to work out better for him. The smaller ice with his, um, body size and structure, I think were, uh, uh, bodes well for him. Um, and I think that, you know, one of the things that uh, pro teams make mistakes with on prospect centers is bringing them up through the system and starting them in the NHL as a center. I think he needs to start on the wing. He'll have much less responsibility and he'll just be able to focus on the pace and his responsibilities on the ice. And he'll be able to learn the game faster. I think of, uh, Jesper Kakaniemi with the Montreal Canadiens. They did not handle him the right way. Um, wound up trading him to Carolina. He's still, despite that long-term contract that he signed and the offer sheet and everything, um, you would think he's some big prize possession, but not not really, uh, at least not yet. Um, I, I think that I think of him when it comes to development. I want Ratu, I want to see Ratu more um, on North American ice develop. He should, he should develop in the AHL as a center, but when he comes up to the NHL, it should be on the wing. So he'll need time. He'll start in Bridgeport, in my opinion, but of any of the prospects we're going to talk about, he'll have the highest ceiling. I don't necessarily think they're going to draft in this draft. If they do, though, maybe it's because someone unexpected fell. And that's the thing about this upcoming draft, and we'll talk about this next week with Mitch. This crop of players, there's no Connor McDavid's in this draft, right? Shane Wright was... Um, highly touted, but you know, other guys like Logan Cooley and Slefsvikov, I think I'm pronouncing that right, caught up to him. There's no pure number one, but there's a lot of quality players who could play in the NHL at some point, um, soon ish. And by that, I mean like two to three years. The Islanders aren't looking for that. That's why I would be surprised if they make the pick. But if somebody falls, like a math, uh, like a Matthew Savoy, maybe they don't trade that pick and they add to this pool. But I think as of right now, Aturatu is the highest ceiling. He'll have the best NHL career out of any of them um, if he doesn't get traded. He is their also biggest trade chip. It's and- definitely possible. Again, I, I I struggle with that because, you, again, you need to, you know, Wallstrom's got some work to do. Who knows about Bellows? Holstrom, Dufour, like you, you trade Ratu, I think. That pro- and you're going to trade your first round pick this year. Like you're in trouble. That that doesn't. I guess if you win a cup, it works out. But until then, it's scary. Yeah, you have to try to ignore it as as the season goes on and just kind of like, all right, that's a thing that happened. 
um, let's let's hope that the team kind of figures it out along the way. It's it's definitely a little scary. Um, you mentioned for you know for our last prospect, and we'll kind of wrap it up here. Um, the last prospect, and I don't know if you can call him a prospect at this point. Um, you did mention that the team you think the team will have um, every player will have NHL experience, um, and I suppose Salo does have a little bit of NHL experience, yeah, even if he games. was kind of thrown into the ring there, uh, you know, trial by fire, baptism by fire, whatever you want to say. Um, do you include him in that as, a, as part of the group of players with NHL experience? Yeah, I, I think that he's, um, you've seen what he, he has, um, not all of what he has, but you've seen some of his skill. Um, there were obviously deficits in his game. That's why he didn't stick around. He did go down to the AHL actually didn't perform to expectations down there. Trotz um, did make mention of that, that he yes. should be the best player out there, and he's simply not. Which I think speaks to a lot of things. One, it speaks to um, his skill level. They expected him to be the best player down there, and he wasn't. So they know he has the ability to be up in the NHL. And two, it speaks to, you know, he needed a little bit of a fire under his ass. And, and I think that did happen because he ended the season, if I'm not mistaken, with like seven points in his last six games. So that's pretty good. Um, but he need he needed to work on a few things, much like it listen, Trotz did say a lot of the prospects and the younger guys needed to to work on certain areas of their game, but it was tr- abundantly true for Robin Salo and you expected him to go down to the AHL and light it up. Didn't happen. They said something, and then suddenly he was like, Okay, there's that fire. So I think he can win a spot out of camp, barring um any major blockages in free agent signings. Like let's say for some reason or another. I think Nick Letty's asking for like four or five million a year for like three to four years. Let's say for some reason he agrees to come to the Islanders for less and he'll play third pair minutes for two and a half million dollars. Sal is going to play the year in the AHL. It's just what's going to happen. He's not going to play in the NHL. But if they don't get somebody for the third pair like that, it could you could see Robin Sello winning it. Depends on how serious he takes his offseason training. Depends on how prepared he is. He is coming into next season and if he's motivated. I, I don't. I don't get the vibes from Robin Sello that he's this guy like that that mouths off too much. I know there was that comment of not exactly falling in love with being in Bridgeport. I don't think it, that's really the way it is. I think there's a little bit he's very well spoken, but I think he's just the kind of guy who's just like, yeah, listen, like Bridgeport is what it is. Like I don't I don't love it here, but like he doesn't mean like I don't love playing for the Bridgeport Islanders. I think he's oh just, yeah, he's I, like I, oh, yeah, Bridgeport is what it is. Yeah, I mean he's a young guy and he just wants to be in the NHL. Yeah, he, it's okay for him to be a little frustrated. It means he cares. Um, right. I don't think I don't think he's mouthing off. Maybe to Lamarol, that's mouthing off. I, but to regular civilians like us, I, I'd argue that it's probably not. Um, but yeah, I I I, I like that he's going to be involved in that one way or another. I would push just kind of give him full time minutes um, next to Mayfield. Um, you you need a seventh defenseman one way or another. We've kind of talked about that in a million different ways. That that could be. I don't think there's a good sense in whether Aho will return. Is that a good option to play? That's a cheaper option to kind of have um, as a backup to Salo. Andy Green is likely around the same price that can provide you that veteran presence to continue to do that. Nick Letty, we've talked about as somebody, if he can come back on a cheap enough deal as a mentor. Um, so, yeah, I think it really depends. But I do like that he's going to – I hope that's the case. I like what you're saying. Um, as far as his, his potential to be um, in the lineup next season on a regular basis, I, I yeah. think that would be good good for the team to have some you know continue to 
to err younger after a year where um, the, the team once again was kind of called out rightly uh, for being a little bit older. Yeah. Um, I think that wraps it up. What do you think? You're right. Um, you want to? I think you should close the show. I'm tired. <laughs> we can definitely do that. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to or watch the show. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube at Nasman Hockey. You can find my work at the Fourth Period and John's work at the Hockey Writers. And check out Isles Fix, an excellent curated newsletter about the New York Islanders. It's their off season, but you might find a surprise in your uh, mailbox any morning. In the Until next time, everyone, let's go Islanders.